1: These aren't the stories your mother told you. No, these are the other
0: stories.
1: (laughs) Today's episode of The Other Stories is Hurry Up, Take My Photograph. Written by David Powell and narrated by James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horace.
0: Did you know, Julia, it was officially the first day of spring, the day you disappeared? Our first holiday together? If only you'd stormed out after a bitter argument or left me a note on the kitchen table, it would have been so much easier. As it was, disappearing into thin air like that was incredibly stressful and awkward. Was it stressful and awkward for you in that other place, wherever you are now? Not that I hold you responsible, of course. You're as much a victim as I am. I shouted, called your name until my voice was cracked and broken. I stood on top of that rocky outcrop where you'd suddenly ceased to be and scanned the moor, but you were nowhere. The only thing that remained of you was a drying footprint on top of the stones. Later, I drove to the local police station and reported you missing. I told them what had happened. And they smiled and nodded in the way you'd humour someone soft in the head. Said they'd keep an eye out for you. The real problem came when I went back to the hotel and asked if you'd checked out earlier in the morning. At first, they looked confused. Then the manager came out and explained to me I had checked in on my own and that he didn't know what I was talking about. Now look here, I said. I demand to know where my wife is. Which, with hindsight was a silly thing to say. It's just as well you weren't there because, eventually, the police were called, and I was arrested. The hospital they took me to was one of those modern places. Not like a hospital at all, really. More like an office complex. They gave me a nice room with a view of the garden, where I could watch the other patients dawdling around in a drug-induced stupor. Soon after arriving... My internal organs started disappearing one night i heard my heart stop beating and i fully expected to die within seconds but i didn't i think the plan was that my body would escape piece by piece until at last my head would roll out between the swing doors and reception when no one was looking then i would start the search for you julia my stomach went the way of my heart a few days later because I realised that my appetite had completely disappeared. All of this I kept quiet, of course, but my doctor, a man called Schoenberg, he knew straight away. He gave me some pills and then, when they didn't work as well as he'd thought, some electric shocks that made my head tingle. After that, things began to return to me, sneaking back in unnoticed until one day, Schoenberg said I was allowed to go home. Apparently, I was cured. Naturally, the first thing I did when I was freed was make plans to find you. The strange dark force that was guiding our fate had emptied the house of all your things. Clothes, books, even your favourite mug. It was as though you had never been there at all. The photographs of us together were gone. I looked everywhere. I meant to go directly back to the place where I last saw you, but I'm ashamed to admit that life got in the way. My old company didn't want me back. Market forces, they said. Cheaper to outsource to China. All part of reprofiling. Repositioning themselves in the global marketplace. Necessity being the mother of invention, I set myself up in life insurance. Seems like a bad joke now. The time I had to give to this new endeavor meant I could never get away to begin my search. It wasn't that I had forgotten about you, Julia. Not completely, at least. Life, the business of surviving day to day, blinded me to my true course. And when the work started coming in, I admit, sometimes you went completely out of my head. Occasionally, I dreamt of you. We were back on the moor. You were up on those rocks and said, Hurry up, take my photograph. When I did, you said, Let's take one of us together. The camera was one of those instant ones, and I held the still wet pieces of paper in my hand. Put them in your pocket, you said. It's important you don't lose them. The morning after that dream, I frantically searched through every pocket of every piece of clothing I had, but the photographs weren't there. How could they be? Silly to think of it now. I kept meaning to find you. But as the years went by and eventually the business ran into trouble, my money became an issue. I put it off and put it off, always thrashing about to try and keep myself above water. But you were there in my lowest moments, like a melody heard in one's youth that returns every now and again to tease you and remind you of how much you've lost since. When I lost the house, the car was my home. I suppose I could have asked my sister... But she had her own problems, didn't like to impose. The car was tolerable until the heater broke. Because I didn't have my pills anymore, you were often in my dreams. Even though the car windows had a rhyme of frost on the inside, I could feel the warm breeze of the spring day as you turned to me from the top of the rocks and said, Hurry up, take my photograph. The winters were particularly bad. But I found a charity shop in town where the woman knew me, knew my difficulties, and she sometimes put warm pieces of clothing aside. You must be cold, Tom, she said. I found something nice and warm for you the other day. Look. From under the counter, she pulled out a thick cashmere wool coat. It was old, but of excellent quality. Put this on tonight and you'll be snug as a bug in a rug, she said. Cashmere is the best wool that money can buy, and the warmest. I thanked her and put the thing on in the shop. Once the cold gets inside, it never really goes. I'm like an old house that stood in the north wind for so long that, even in the summer, there's a kernel of ice at its heart that will never thaw. Try to stay warm, Tom, she said. There are places you can go, you know. I can make a phone call if you like. I told her I didn't want to be around other people and that the car wasn't all that bad. At least it was my own place. Other people didn't like me and found me disagreeable and argumentative. Sometimes, Julia, was angry with you for going away like that. Think what our lives might have been if you had stayed. I'd be retired by now and the mortgage would be paid. We'd be starting out the second part of our lives. In which we got to do the things we wanted to do. Our grandchildren would have begged their parents to spend Christmas with us, because no one did Christmas quite like Grandpa Tom and Nonna Julia. But I try not to be better, for I believe that in some other place, that's exactly what did happen. You stayed on that rock. And I took your photograph, and then we went back to our hotel. And maybe you conceived our first child. Or maybe there is a place where I disappeared instead. And it is you, Julia, who's living in your old car without any heating. Later on, I settled down for the night and made a nest in the blankets I'd collected over the years. It was fine, as long as I didn't expose my hands or face. I dreamt of that place. We were walking back to the car. Normally, the dream stopped after the photographs. In this version we were holding hands as we strode across the moor then you ran on ahead come on, come on you said we're nearly yeah. there I ran after you and we reached the car together inside it was freezing I saw frost on the windows and my breath bloomed in front of my face my blankets had fallen off and someone was knocking on the side window I raised myself up on an elbow you can't stop here the policeman was saying through the window, "Move on or I'll have to have your vehicle towed." They did this every so often. A hazard of the itinerant lifestyle. But never usually in the middle of the night. I climbed across into the driving seat and rummaged for the key in my coat pocket. "All right, all right," I said. "I'm going. Need to find my keys." The new coat had a hole in the pocket, and it seemed the key had slipped down into the lining. I had to make the hole bigger to feel the familiar shape of the key nestled in a seam at the bottom. I felt other objects down there, lost by the original owner. It's amazing what you sometimes find in old pockets. I found a ten-pound note once. Come on, let's get it moving, the policeman said. He was hugging himself in the cold. The engine turned over lumpily, and it seemed the battery was about to die but then it caught. I revved the engine to warm it up. It didn't sound too healthy, rather like me. It was on its last legs. I drove slowly. I had only enough petrol for a few miles. The police car overtook me after a couple of minutes with his lights flashing. Off to another important call. I pulled over in the nearest available spot and kept the engine running. My hand went back into the lining of the coat and pulled out two pieces of stiff card. They were old, very old, and I turned them over. They were our photographs, Julia. The ones we took in the dream. Faded now, almost to the point where they had disappeared, but there was enough left for me to recognize you standing on top of that rock all those years ago. The second was a picture of both of us. We were young, Julia. Or at least I was. You, of course, have never aged. I sat and stared at them for a while, and then I knew what you wanted me to do. And I cursed myself for not taking the time to do it before, when I thought that all those other things were more important. Unfortunately, I had to break some walls to obtain enough petrol to make the journey, But in the great scheme of things, it's not important. And now I'm here. I think the car is finished. And so am I. Nearly. Through the window, up on the moor. I can just see the rocky outcrop in the lightning sky. I think I can make it. However, it will be my final journey. Just make sure you're waiting for me, Julia.
1: I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Other Stories. Hurry Up, Take My Photograph was written by David Powell, narrated by James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horrors, and edited by James Barnett, a.k.a. Jimmy Horrors, with music by Duncan Muggleton, Daniel Birch, Dark Fantasy Studio, and Tom Robson, and sound effects provided by freesound.org. The episode illustration was provided by Luke Spooner of Carry On House. A quick thanks to our community managers Joshua Boucher and Jasmine Arch, and to Carolyn O'Brien for helping with our submission reading. And of course to Ben Errington for being a social media kratos in our War of the Content Gods. David Stephen Powell was born in London and worked as a professional musician. He now lives and works in Italy. His stories have appeared in Litro Magazine, Idol Inc., Flash Fiction Magazine, Cabinet of Heed and Black Hair Press. James Barnett is the producer of the Night's End podcast, a short story fiction podcast with tales of horror and the paranormal. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. You can also catch other works of his at jamesbarnettcreative.com. The Other Stories is a production of the story studio Hawk and Cleaver, and is brought to you with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but by all means, share the hell out of it. So, until next time.